Hey, we're in the third and final message of our series, Haggai. Haggai. I mentioned in week one, have you ever been, I asked this question, and I thought that for most all of us, including myself, I knew for myself the answer was no, but have you ever been a part, have you ever heard a message series out of this little uh, Old Testament book, Haggai, written some 2,500 years ago? I, I don't know what you were able to say as a response to that, but for me, I could tell you I've never heard a message series out of Haggai until we've been together. So after today, we'll never be able to say we haven't heard a message series out of Haggai before because now we have. And maybe you've been challenged to go back, and I hope you will this week. Go back. It's so brief. It's so small. But go back and read that Old Testament, the minor prophet Haggai, again this week. You'll be reminded of some of the truths that we have talked about then, and we're going to talk about today. Let me, if you're joining us for the first time, and you were not a part of part one or part two, I want to just give you a little bit of uh, background. I think it will be helpful to you and those of you that have been with us, uh, one or both weeks. It's going to be a little reminder. But there's this great, great king by the name of Solomon, the son of David. And David actually wanted to build this temple for God. He wanted to build this house of worship for God. But he was not permitted to do so because he was a warrior. God said, you're a man of much bloodshed, David, and I'm not going to allow you to be able to build my house, but I will give you the opportunity uh, for your son to build me a place of worship. And when Solomon built this house of worship, Solomon's temple, this place of worship, people would actually come from all over the world just to see this magnificent building and to worship God there. And it was a powerful and beautiful thing. Well, you move a little bit forward in the story, and Solomon passes away. He dies. And when he dies, unfortunately, many of the people, they turned their heart from God. Broke the heart of God, but they turned their heart from God, and they went after idol worship. They went after idol worship. And then about 586 B.C., historically we know this, that King Nebuchadnezzar, along with the Babylonian army, that they invaded Judah and they absolutely destroyed the city. Homes and businesses and schools, even this magnificent structure that was built to honor God. Solomon's temple was left to nothing but smoldering ruins. In addition to that, Many of the people were taken into captivity and spent decades in uh, captivity. Well, eventually, uh, many, many years later, about 50,000 of them are able to return to Judah. They're permitted to do so. And in coming back to Judah, their hearts for years had thought about rebuilding. They had thought about Solomon's temple. They had thought about where they were from, their own homeland. And now they're permitted to go back. And in their hearts, they want to build this great temple uh, to see it restored, refurbished, and it's in their hearts to do so. And they go back and they become involved in that, but they are on the receiving end of some opposition. And as we've talked about in the two previous weeks, it is so discouraging to them, it is so deflating to them that they actually stop the reconstruction process. It just all comes to a grinding halt. In the midst of this, God sends his prophet. And that's what we've been talking about. God sends Haggai. And Haggai comes on the scene, and he's like, isn't it time? Isn't it time that we restore the temple of God? Isn't it time we get back to God's word? Isn't it time that we make God the priority of our lives again? And they were committed to do so. And that's why God sent Haggai. 
Well, in the middle of that, because they had been faced with opposition, because their lives were filled with discouragement, there's a sense, there's almost like an attitude change among the people. They're discouraged by what is taking place, and so their attitude becomes more like this. Is it really worth it to obey God in this particular area of our life? Is it really, you know, uh, we'll obey God here, we'll keep doing that, but to go back and rebuild the temple with all of this opposition and all of this uh, discouragement, maybe, maybe this is going to be an area where we're going to bypass in terms of obedience. Now, that's going to lead us to the focus of this talk today. And they faced something 2,500 years ago that you and I are faced with today. It's what we're going to talk about. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about conditional obedience. Conditional obedience to God. It's like saying to God, here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to obey you in this area of my life if it's easy to do so, then I'm going to obey you. Or God, I'm going to obey you in this area of my life if it's something that I already wanted to do anyhow. Or I'm going to obey you in this area of my life if everything is going well in my life. Or I'm going to obey you in this area of my life if it's convenient. I'm going to obey you if it's comfortable. Uh, God, I'm going to conditional obedience is what we're going to talk about today. And I'm glad you're here because this is something not only that they faced a very long time ago. It's something that you and I face today. You see, sometimes with God, and I want you to please hear what I'm about to say, sometimes we hear from God only what we want to hear, and sometimes we do only what we want to do. Let me say that again. Sometimes in terms of our relationship with God, we hear only what we want to hear, and we do only what we want to do. Uh, Landry is our grandchild, and uh, she's the middle one, and she's four years old, about to turn five. And Landry, therefore, while Brett and Nicole actually thought that she was having a little bit of problems with her hearing. And Nicole, in fact, was quite convinced of that, and Brent wasn't quite as convinced. So one day, he has a little test that he's going to do. She's walking ahead of them, and they keep saying her name and asking her, and she's just not responding whatsoever. And then in a much lower voice, Brent mentions something that she really likes, and immediately she turned around and said where. It wasn't that she couldn't hear fully. It's just that she was like a lot of us. We hear what we want to hear, and we do that in terms of our relationship with God. God is speaking, but sometimes we only hear from God what we want to hear, and we only do what God wants us to do if it's in keeping with something that we want to do. And that's what we're talking about. It's something that they uh, struggle with. It's something that you and I struggle with today, conditional obedience. I will listen and obey God in this area of my life, but not in that. I read this statement not long ago, and I want to just share it with you. God does not give us options to consider. He gives us commands to obey. Let me say that again. God does not give us options to consider. He gives us uh, commands to obey. Mark Twain, a lot of you are going to know that name. He was known, famous, for all of his little quips. And here's a story I read about him some time ago. Uh, Mark Twain knew a businessman, and I'll read it just as I read it from this particular book. A businessman known for his ruthlessness and arrogance and religiosity 
once told Mark Twain he intended to visit the Holy Land before he died so that he could climb up Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments out loud. Mark Twain responded. I love this. He said, I, I have a better idea. You could stay here in Boston and keep them. You could stay right here and keep, rather than go to the Holy Land, climb Mount Sinai, and read the Ten Commandments out loud, it'd probably be a better, even better thing if you would just stay right here and you would keep them. As we get ready to dive into this text, these next few verses, the hearts of the people at this point have already drifted from God. And as I've mentioned to you a couple of times or more, it broke the heart of God. In fact, do you remember this question from uh, chapter 1? It's in verse 4. It's not on the screen. This is what the question was. Is it time? This is what God is asking the people through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses? If you don't know what that means, you can go back, watch On Demand Part 1. Is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains a ruin? In other words, this is what God is saying to the people. When did I cease being the priority of your life? When did I stop being the priority of your life? When did you stop obeying me? When did you start saying, I'm going to hear God when I want to hear God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do when I want to do it. I'm going to practice conditional obedience. God is saying to them, when did I cease being the priority in your life? Now, that's a question. More questions show up in chapter 2. And I'm just going to tell you, you're about to see it, but I'm going to tell you ahead of time, these are some weird questions. They're strange questions, but we'll read them. We'll look at them together, and then I will explain. This is verses 12 and 13, Haggai 2. And he's talking to the priest here. He said, if one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? Will it become just by process of, of, of touching these things? The priest replied, you see this with me, say it out loud. I know because a lot of you have told me you say things out loud with me, and I appreciate it. The priest replied, what? No. No, that's not going to happen. Look at the next part. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes, weird question, but if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, said out loud with me, yes. The priest said, yes, it will be defiled. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time here because I want to keep it moving. But in essence, Haggai, when he was talking to the priest, he was talking about, you know, uh, when you take the food, the sacred food, the food that's going to be offered on the sacrifice, it's holy, set apart, and you put it in the fold of your robe. It would be like a pocket that they would put it in to carry it to the place of sacrifice. And he says, if it brushes up against any other thing, is, is that going to, you know, is it going to cause it to become, uh, you know, holy just by, by doing that? And the response to that, you know, is, is no. And, and the essence of the question, I wish I had more time to delve into this, but the question that is really being gotten at here is this, and I'll say it this way, does holiness spread? Does holiness spread? Does it rub off and make things clean? Just by you carrying the sacrifice in the fold of your robe and it touches something else, does that cause these other things to become clean? And the priest said no. And so, 
Uh, here's what he's bringing it back to, and I'll just toss it out here again. Wish we had more time to talk about it. Maybe we will in a future message. But the question is, does, does holiness spread? Does it just easily rub off on other things and make things clean? And the answer to that is no. But what does spread easily is sin. Let me say that again. What does spread easily is sin. See, sin contaminates. And, and I'll just, I'll use a fun example of this, not making light of what we're talking about, but I think it will help you to understand. I love to grill. Perhaps you do as well. And I love to grill. One of my favorite foods to grill is actually hamburgers, pure beef hamburgers. And I love to put those big hamburger patties on the grill, grill them just right, just before I take them off the grill, maybe put a little piece of, of cheese on there, let it melt, bring it inside, uh, a little ketchup, a little mustard, a little tomato, a little lettuce, maybe a slice of pickle, some, some onion. I know some of you are getting hungry. Some of you just decided what you're having for lunch. You're going to fire the grill up here in just a little while. I know what you're going to do. But when I get ready to grill hamburgers, pure beef hamburgers, there are people in my family that want me to grill turkey burgers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And so in a very calculating way, what I do when I put the turkey burgers on the grill, I put them on the complete opposite side of the grill because I don't want the unclean turkey burgers to contaminate my clean all beef hamburgers. So, you know, what the, what the prophet is saying here when he asked the priest is rhetorical because they already knew the answer. It's like, you know, does holiness just spread easily? And again, the answer was no, and they were right. But does sin spread easily? And the answer to that would be absolutely. Sin spreads much easier than holiness. It is corrupt, and it contaminates whatever it touches. Their sin, and this is what Haggai was getting at with the people of Judah, their sins had actually moved to other sins. The sins that they were committing had led to even more sins. It's been a long time ago, but a book, I can't remember the title, but I do remember the author. His name is Steve Farrar. And in that book, this is what Steve Farrar has written about sin. He said, sin can take you further than you wanted to go. Sin can keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And sin can cost you more than you wanted to pay. I want to say that again. Sin takes you further than you wanted to go. Sin, and some of you are saying, man, isn't that true because you've experienced it in your own life. Sin can keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and sin can cost you more than you wanted to pay. God was totally clear about what he was wanting from his people. He wanted them to move from their sin. He wanted them to move from their idolatry. He wanted them to move from their waywardness. And God wanted them to devote their heart back to him. God wanted their heart. God wanted their obedience. God wanted their sincerity, just like God wants from you and me today. God wants our heart, all of our heart. He doesn't want us to just hear what we want to hear, just do what we want to do, and just selectively listen or practice conditional obedience. God wants our heart, all of our 
heart. God doesn't want us to say, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to surrender this part of my life to God, but this little part over here in the corner, I'm keeping that for me. This is my part. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to obey God in that area of my life because it's not easier. It's not convenient. It's not not comfortable. And so you and I, we look back and we say, wow, that is so much like today, 2,500 years ago, but so much like today because you and I, if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. And God is saying, here's what I want to do. I want to have your heart. I want you to repent of sin, and I want you to surrender your heart completely to me. Well, God not only dealt with the heart in the Old Testament, Jesus actually speaks to the matters of the heart in the New Testament. I want you to check out these two verses. This is what he said. Go, if you will, uh, to the next, next one. Um, there we go. So when you offer your gift to God at the altar, so when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go and make peace with that person, and then come and offer your gift. So God is saying, you know, even if we're, if we're, even if we're coming to worship, and, and we're going to worship God, but we remember that something is not right in our heart, that our heart is not clear, that our heart is not clean, that our heart is not right. Jesus is saying, go and settle that. Go and make that right, because God wants your heart. Can I just remind you that when our heart is right, that when our heart is clear, and we know when it is and when it's not, when our heart is clean and we know when it is and when it's not, when our heart is right and we know when it is and when it is not, but when our heart is right before God, it makes obeying God so much easier. We say, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey you, not just because of your blessings. You know, we want the blessings of God in our life, and as we'll hear toward the end of this talk, God wants to bless us, but, but that's not our motivation. We're not saying, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey you because simply, the only reason, I want you to bless me. Or God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey you because I'm afraid you're going to punish me. That's not a good motivation to obey God. Not to say, God, I'm going to obey you simply because I want your blessings. That's selfishness, by the way. Or God, I, I'm going to obey you because I'm I'm in fear of your punishment. If I don't, who wants to live with that kind of anxiety all the time? Here ought to be our motivation for obeying God. It ought to be this, because we love God. We obey God because we love God, and we want to please God, and we want to honor God. We love Him. This is a great statement from Wayne Cadero, who says this. He says, one, one of the many barometers... One of the many barometers of my love for God is whether or not obeying God is becoming increasingly more difficult or increasingly more joyful. Whether I'm obeying God, whether it's becoming increasingly more difficult or increasingly more joyful. Well, let's return to Haggai. I want you to see in chapter 2, I want you to see verse 15. This is Haggai 2.15. I want you to look at it with me. The prophet says, look at what was happening to you. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Now, if you were with us before in part one, you know that he's speaking in regards to something that, uh, and it went like this. Uh, God was saying to his prophet, he was saying, there's a lack of satisfaction in your life. And he put it to the people like this. Here's what you do. You eat, but you're never full. You're never satisfied. You drink, but you remain thirsty. 
You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. You earn money, but as fast as you earn money, it seemingly disappears. It's like, you've seen the language, we talked about it in this series. It's like you're putting money in a purse that has holes in it. You're, it just disappears. And what God is saying, you know what? You're going about your life, and, and you're not fully satisfied. And, and there's something missing, and you know deep down that there is something missing, a gaping hole in your life. There's an ongoing emptiness. And so God's referring back to that, all right? So we need to keep moving because I want you to see what we find next, verses 16 and 17, the very next verses. And I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, you need to buckle up because this is strong. This is real strong. What you're about to see on this screen right here is not for the faint of heart. And some of you are going to see it and you're going to be like, oh my, whoa, what, what is going on right here? But I want you to see it. We need to talk about it. It's God's message to the people. When you hope for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, look at this, you found only 20. Look at this next part. I sent blight and mildew and hell to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. And you're like, oh my, what did I just see? I sent blight and mildew and hell to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, this is what God says, even so, you refuse to return to me. Now, now some of you, if, if you're honest, you're like you read that portion a moment ago and you're like, that doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, if God is like that, or that doesn't seem to be very loving. That doesn't seem very nice for that to happen. Or I thought that God was always about blessing and, and encouragement and things that are positive. Now, you just point out a couple of verses where it seems to indicate that God was actually working against the people. Now, you can think that way until we come to verse 17 that you just saw a moment ago when it says, even so, all these things were going on, even so, this is what God said, even though this was occurring in your life, even though I'd cut back on your supply, even so, you refused to return to me. See, what God was doing, it wasn't because God did not love them, it was because God did love them that he was trying to get their attention, he was trying to get their heart. God was not looking, and you need to understand this, or you'll get confused about the nature or character of God. God was not looking, his motivation hear me now, was not to punish. His motivation was actually to restore. God was not looking to punish them no more than he's looking to just whack us over the head every time we step out of line. God wasn't looking to punish them. God wanted to restore them. Let me say it like this. God would rather you and I experience temporary discomfort than to experience eternal damnation. That's how much God loves us. I want to say that again. God would rather you and me experience some temporary discomfort than to experience eternal damnation because we just steadily more and more and more uh, turned our back on God, removed our heart from God, and just said, you know, eventually, because sin, as we talked about earlier, sin contaminates. Sin leads to more sin. And, and to just eventually say, well, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a completely different path than the path that I've been on. See, God was not looking to punish. God was actually looking to restore. And, and you may have read that, and you may think, well, that doesn't sound very loving. But let me just say this, and this doesn't make a lot, a lot of sense. If you are a parent, 
If you're a parent, then you've done this scores of times to your own children over the years. You have. If you're a parent, this made sense to you because what you have done as a parent with your kids, you have practiced love and discipline. You have practiced, you love them and you discipline them. Why do you discipline them? Not because you're looking to punish them, just because you're amped up on punishment. You punish them because you correct them. You bring some parameters into their life, some boundaries into their life. Why? Because you love them and you want them to have a good life. You want them to have a blessed life. You want them to have a fruitful, a good life. And you know that destructive behavior does not lean toward that. So as a parent, you practice love and discipline and the motivation. Even when you're disciplining your kids, you do it because you, you love them. Now, let me just say at this stage, because our kids are grown, thank God, and now there's grandkids. With kids, it's love and discipline. This is the stage I'm in now, and I love it. With, with grandkids, with kids, love and discipline. With grandkids, all you grandparents will be able to concur, and you'll nod your head. With grandkids, it's love and more love. Love and more love. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law, from time to time, when the grandkids are acting up a little bit, and they rarely do that because they're so angelic. They're like the most perfect kids in all the world. But sometimes when they're acting, a, you know, a little bit uh, unlike themselves, uh, their, their mom or dad will say something like this to me. They'll be like, hey, make them stop that. Hey, tell them. Hey, and what they're asking me to do is to discipline them. And I'm like, no way. I'm not a pawpaw of discipline. I'm a pawpaw of love and more love. And we, with our kids, we discipline them because we love them. And this is why God wasn't mad at them. God wasn't just looking to punish them. God wanted to restore them because he loved them. He wanted to bring them back into right relationship with himself. Just like us, the people of Judah deserve far worse. What he did, he could have done a lot more than this. He simply reduced their supply in order to get their attention. And before you become too animated about that, what would you do to help us understand this? And I'll just make a modern parallel. What would you do if you had a kid in college and you were helping to support them in college and you were sending them money every single month and you found out and you knew it was accurate that with the money that you were sending them that they were just partying hard all the time, all the weekend. And then they were to say to you, hey, by the way, I need you to send me more money because in their heart, they wanted to party even more so. Would you, would, you, would you be compliant with that? Absolutely not. You know what you'd do? You would do what God did with the people of, of Judah. You would reduce their supply because you were mad, because you were angry, because you were just trying. No, because you love them and you didn't want to be a partner to their own bad behavior. I want you to please learn this valuable lesson and then hang on to it. Are you ready for it? Here it is. I'll say it a couple of times. Your obedience, and this is true for me, it's true for you. Your obedience creates an opportunity for God's blessings. Your obedience, my obedience, creates an opportunity for God's blessings. Does that mean that we're going to have a perfect life? Not at all. Does that mean that if you or I are going through a tough time and as long as we live in a messed up, sinful world, you and I are going to face some tough times? The Bible says that. In fact, it says this. In the world, we're going to face 
many tribulations, but we rejoice because, you know, Jesus has overcome the world. And so you may be walking through a challenge, and it's not because you're doing anything wrong. In your case, it may be that you're doing a lot of right, and the enemy's just trying to oppose you. But there are times in our life, just like in Judah, when God is saying, you know what? You're hearing only what you want to hear. You're doing what you only want to do. You're practicing conditional obedience. You know, you're, you're saying, I will obey God in this. And, that. and God just tries to get our attention. He just tries to get our attention. Why? Because God loves us. And because God cares about our heart. And our heart matters a lot. I want you to see, this is out of the New Testament, back to back to back verses. Look at them with me real quickly. And then we're going to close. Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's what he was asking of the people in Judah back in Haggai's day. I want to be the priority of your life. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. This is echoed by Jesus. And live righteously. And he'll give you everything that you need. Look at this next one from Mark's gospel. Love the Lord your God. With what? With all your heart. I want your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. And with all your strength. Back to Matthew. I want you to see this one. Look at this verse. These people... And right here, Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And you and I don't ever want that to happen to us, where we say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to honor God. I'm going to play. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to pretend that I'm fully surrendered to God. I'm going to honor God with my mouth, and I'm going to look like I'm doing all the right things, but my heart be far from God. God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for me. Isn't it time that we give our heart fully to God. It was the message of God for the people of Judah 2,500 years ago, and it is God's message for you and me today. Now, I've got one more verse, and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, In case you just got a little out of sorts when we looked at a couple of verses earlier when God was saying, you know, you expected this many 20 bushels, but you only had 10, 50 gallons when you went to the vineyard, but there were only 20, and, and you're like, What's, what's going on? Didn't God want to bless them? Didn't it wasn't, it wasn't that. Yes, God wanted to bless them, but God knew that their hearts needed to be in the right place. And here in verse 19, a beautiful way, the way this all unfolds. This is how it plays out. God, God got their heart, and, and they started turning their hearts back toward God. And I want you to look at this final verse, verse 19, because this is what God wanted to do all along. And this is amazing to me. I am giving you a promise. This is what he's saying to these people. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. In other words, you haven't even planted. You're not even near harvest. You haven't even planted the seed. The seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, your fig trees and pomegranates and olive trees. They have not yet produced their crops. Look at this next part. I love this. This is where God was headed the whole time. But from this day onward, I will bless you. I want you to read this out loud with me. But from this day onward, I will bless you. One more time. This is why God wanted them to be obedient. This is why God wanted their heart. But from this day onward, here's what I'm going to do, God says. I am going to bless your life. As we wrap up this talk today in this message series, I want you to hear me loud and clear. God loves you like nobody else loves you. There's nobody that loves you like God loves you. You may have a lot of family and friends in your life that they love you in an outrageous way, and I celebrate that with you, but I want you to know that God loves you more than anybody could ever love you, and God wants you to be blessed even more than you want to be blessed. 
but he wants us to give our heart completely to him. See, you may already be a follower of Jesus and you may be holding back. Or maybe you're somebody that you're saying, well, you know, I find it easy to obey God in this area of my life because it's easy. It's convenient. It's comfortable. Oh, by the way, it's what I want to do anyhow. Well, see, God wants us to not practice conditional obedience if we're his follower. What God wants us to do is to obey him, not out of selfishness. God, I'm only obeying you because I want to be blessed. That's not our motivation. Or God, I'm only obeying you because I'm afraid. I want to do all these other things. The only thing, the only thing that's keeping me on a straight path, the only reason I'm obeying you is because I fear punishment. That, that won't last very long. But what will is, God, I love you. I worship you. I adore you. And God, because I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, because I want to seek your kingdom above all else, because I don't want to just worship you from my mouth. I want to worship you from my heart because here's a good reason to obey God. I love you. I worship you. Maybe as a Christian, you just recommit yourself. If you've allowed any part of your heart to just drift to say, all right, back on track, getting that right today. I'm not going to drift. I'm going to get my heart, you know, back in alignment with God. Now, you may be a person watching today, and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to just say thank you. Thank you for hanging on this whole time. You could have just cut away at any moment, but you stayed, and it's for a very important reason, because God is trying to get your attention. It was God's way. The reason you hung in here this long is because God loves you and God has a plan for your life and he was working behind the scenes of your life. And God wants you to know, even if you've never served him a day of your life, even if you've never surrendered your heart to God, God wants you to know that he loves you and he wants your heart. Would you, and you could do so right now with me today to pray a prayer and say, here's what I want. God, I want to give my heart completely to you. I want you to come into my heart. God, I want to experience your grace. I want to experience your love. I want to experience your mercy. I want to experience your forgiveness. Jesus, come into my heart today. And you know what, friends? It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. You can pray and you can invite Jesus to become the Savior of your life, the leader of your life. You can give your heart to God and God will take you. He stands at the door and knocks. The Bible says if we open our heart, he will come in. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And you can be saved right here, right now. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it in your mind. And you don't even have to pray my exact words. My words aren't magical. You just pray from your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I need you. I want to surrender my heart to you. I want you to come into my life. I need your forgiveness because I've sinned. I need your grace. I need your mercy. God, thank you that you love me enough that you sent your own son, son, Jesus, to die for me on the cross. I receive you. Today's a new day for me. I draw a line in the sand. I get a clean slate. I get a do-over. And I want to do my life with you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you please let me know? That would mean so much to me to know that today was the day as you were watching, as you joined us in this message, that you invited Christ to become the leader of your life. Hey, we love you. God bless you. I see, I'll look forward to seeing you next week when we begin a brand new series, Identity Crises. I look forward to seeing you then. God bless. Have an awesome week.
This entire series has been a reminder and a challenge to us to trust Jesus and to follow his leading and timing and to let him show you the best way to live. We aren't meant to get stuck in the valleys and God has great plans for your life. If you decided to follow Jesus today, congratulations, you've just made the most important decision of your life. Would you take a moment and post a comment online or send a quick text to 863-400-1226 and let us know because we want to celebrate with you and help you through the next steps of your faith journey. And before you go today, set a reminder to join us live, in person, or online this Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek service. Have a great day.